0: As we get started today, I'm going to start out just by talking about lying. Because people lie all the time. You know that. People lie all the time. Like, so for example, if I were to say to you that I really hope the Patriots win, I would obviously be lying because I'm a man of God and and I love Jesus and, and America. So uh, like that would just, that would be a lie. No, I, I don't mean to be a hater, uh, although... Uh, uh, Gary did send me this meme this week. Check this out. I refuse to hate police officers. I refuse to hate black people. I refuse to hate gay people. I refuse to hate people. I refuse to, except the New England Patriots. I hate the Patriots. <laughs> I feel like there's truth in that. You know, I thought I'd share that with you. Maybe I'll close in prayer and we'll go home now. No, that's, there, we have more. <clears throat> but, uh, but this much is true. People do lie. People lie. and In fact, you know, Christians lie. Christians lie a lot. We particularly lie when we sing. Look at a famous hymn, I Surrender All. Check this out. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow, worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me Jesus, take me now. You sing that and you lie. You understand that last line is your request for God to kill you right now. And then he gives you the sniffles and you freak out, right? <laughs> or worldly pleasures all forsaken. Great, brother. I love hearing that when you sing, hey, can I have your mattress? Worldly pleasure. or I tell you what, while I watch the Super Bowl, you clean my house. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, man. We lie when we sing. Or, or, okay, that's an older one. How about a little bit more recent song like More Like Jesus? If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. And then, you know what? God doesn't take everything. He just takes something. Right? And we just freak out on God for taking something after we sing, take everything. We lie all the time. The the great pastor, A.W. Tozer, had this way of putting it. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. (laughs) That's true. And what we do is we make these great promises of following Jesus, but then we don't follow through. And and that's going to happen in our passage today. We're going to see three dudes that make these great claims of following, but they don't follow through. Look with me, if you will, as we continue in Luke. We're at the end of chapter 9, so we're looking at verses 57 to 62. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Does it seem like Jesus ate spicy food that day? Right? Like, wow. Wow. Now, uh, these are three guys interacting with Jesus. We don't get their names, so we'll call them dude one, dude two, and dude three. And we're just going to work through these dudes and talk about them. So dude number one, uh, what he is saying here is, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. Because after all, Jesus is being recognized as a rabbi. And you understand to be a disciple, a student of a rabbi, back in that day, that meant you were like top of the class. You're a gifted student. That's a position of status. That's a position of honor. And Jesus says, "Um, following me isn't quite like that. Following me is a little bit different. And so what you have is this guy is essentially singing, I will follow you anywhere. And and Jesus is saying, listen, you got to understand something. You understand, Jesus is homeless. He's a wandering rabbi. He serves in the posture of the lowliest of all servants. And then he gets rejected and killed. To which the guy would say, um, never mind, never mind, I, I retract, uh, uh, never mind. I thought, I thought following Jesus, that would mean like he's a feel-good motivational speaker, right? And, and he would say nice, positive things about me. He would never contradict any of my opinions, right? And, and he would never ask me to do hard things, but rather, he's going to give me lots of cool goodies. That's my Christianity, that's what I'm looking for. But it turns out that if you follow Jesus, you follow Jesus. And Jesus is headed to sacrifice. So following Jesus means following Jesus into sacrifice. See, we have this myth that uh, Christianity is about having an easy life. I follow Jesus and things just get better and easier all the time. And that's just not true. Now that myth comes by several different labels. There's health and wealth preaching. Follow Jesus, you get healthy, you get wealthy. Health and wealth, there's word of faith, name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, many different labels for it. But then Jesus says in response to that, he says, listen, you understand, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Blows my mind. I have no idea how the prosperity, the health and wealth preachers deal with this passage. They've got to cut it out of the text. I don't know what they do with this. But here Jesus is saying, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Now Jesus lays it on thick there. He could have said, hey, you understand, I have no place to lay my head. He intentionally inserts his title as son of man. We've looked at that already in Daniel chapter 7, where Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son of man who's given all power and glory and dominion and authority. And so Jesus uses that title. You understand, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The question then is, why do we think we should be better off than the Son of Man? That makes no sense. Now, the Son of Man is like that because Jesus is homeless on earth. You know why? Because earth was not his home. And we're called to follow him, and it shouldn't be our home either. And so anything we have to let go of here, we should be open-handed. But we're actually clutching a little bit more than that, aren't we? The reality is that we are saved from sin and death and hell. And we're not only saved from, we're saved to. We're saved to heaven. We're saved to eternity. We're saved to relationship with God, to discipleship, to sanctification, to freedom. It's wonderful. But one of the things we're not saved to, we're not saved to health and wealth. Not in an earthly sense. How? I just don't get how those guys deal with this passage. You know, what? I'll say this. The health and wealth preachers, health and wealth actually does work in the sense that the preacher tends to get very wealthy every time. Have you seen what those, some of those guys' net worth is? Their mansions, their jets? Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. That's how health and wealth works for them. Now, Jesus isn't that kind of a preacher. See, Christ didn't come to give you health and wealth. Christ came to be your health and your wealth. So that you are completely satisfied and caught up in him. So now you can follow him anywhere and into anything. Because following Jesus means following Jesus. And that means following Jesus into sacrifice. Now we want a Christianity that is all comfort and convenience. I want you to imagine for a second. Imagine my wedding vows went like this. I take you, Shannon, to be my wedded wife so long as it is comfortable and convenient. What do you think, ladies? You like those vows? No. What are the vows? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Why would we say anything less than that to Jesus? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything. Now, it'll be hard at times. It'll take sacrifice. But listen, men and women, you understand, Jesus is worth it. His kingdom is worth it. Eternity is worth it. People's lives or souls, that's worth it. He is completely worth it. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's always best. It's always best. So I'll I'll follow you, Jesus. Means I will follow you into sacrifice. And so let me be very clear about something today. This is brilliant. You ready? If you aren't following Jesus, then you aren't following Jesus. Yeah, sometimes my job is just to state the obvious. That's completely it. But if you aren't following Jesus, then you aren't following Jesus. Call it like it is. And that's dude number one. Now let's look at dude number two. This is the guy that says, First let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, Nope. (laughs) Doesn't Jesus seem like a jerk in this one? Come on, man. What is the big deal that the guy gets to first go and bury his father? And the answer is this his father likely wasn't dead, wasn't even sick. Okay? Listen, if this guy's father, Jews tend to bury on the same day. You die that day, they'd bury you that day. So if his father was dead, this guy would be A, in mourning, but B, he'd be planning. There's a lot of Jewish customs that surround the funeral event. And so you've got to arrange for music. You've got to arrange for professional wailers. Remember, Pastor Jared talked about that? And then there's the community gathering and there's food. And you have 24 hours to get that done. This guy is not, if his, it's not in between his dad dying and being buried, he wouldn't be out talking to some wandering rabbi talking about following him. Okay? So his dad is not dead. What's going on here is this reflects the Jewish cultural custom, flows from the Ten Commandments, you should honor your father and mother, right? And so, but they took that into, you have to get your mom and dad's approval for everything. As well, you take care of your mom and dad in their old age. When they die, you're there to bury them, but it's okay. There is a payoff. It's called inheritance. And you're going to get a big check down the road, okay? Now, this guy's dad is likely not dead. He's likely not even sick. He is saying, Jesus, I will follow you decades from now after my dad is dead. And the reason I'll do that is because my, my parents are good, devout Jews, and, and they do not approve of me leaving to follow around with this wandering rabbi guy. In fact, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they don't like you. They're not giving their approval. So my parents don't approve of you either. And if I go with you, Jesus, I will lose face. I will lose honor. I will lose friends. And worst of all, I'll lose my inheritance. And so Jesus, tell you what. Someday in the future, when my dad dies, I will bury him. I will then get my inheritance and then I'll follow you. Because I want to follow you when I'm safe and secure, not when there's sacrifice on the table. And we say this, don't we? We say this to Jesus. Jesus, I'll follow you later. Right now I'm young and I want to run wild, but I'll follow you like someday when I'm retired and have no energy left to do anything else. Right? So I'll follow you someday when I'm old. Or Jesus, listen, my, my friends and my family, they won't approve like, uh, of me being a Jesus freak. Do we have some version of following you, Jesus, that we can keep it on the down low? Where people just don't have to know about that? Or, or what about, listen, Jesus, I want to be financially secure. Let me get set my career, let me get my nest egg going, and then, then I'll follow you. But not now. Now would involve sacrifice. We need to wait till later. That's what's going on in the heart, and Jesus sees right through it. Listen, if you're saying, Jesus, I'll follow you later, it is likely you'll never follow him later. If you won't follow him now, you probably won't follow him later because you never get to later. You only get a series of nows in which you say, I'll follow you later. And you always kick the can down the road. It's the same heart. And you, you might be fooling yourself, but you sure are not fooling Jesus. And I don't want you to fool yourself. I want you to know the reality. And so what Jesus says to this guy, he says, listen, let the dead bury, bury their own dead. But as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Wait, what, Jesus? What, now, now I have to go start telling people about you? Oh, certainly there's a fol- version of following you that does not involve that. Telling people about you, man, now I'll really be a Jesus freak. And what Jesus is saying there is listen, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the spiritually dead, those are non Christians, let them do the good works of this world that, that anyone can do. Let them bury the dead bodies. That's a good thing. Let them do that. But as for you, you who are alive in Christ, you who are a Christian, you go proclaim the kingdom. Of God, Why? Because there is only one good work on this earth that only Christians can do, and it's proclaim the gospel. And that should be our primary task as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ. We've got to go do that. Let the dead bury the dead, but as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, well, granted, sometimes uh, a good work A deed works with the word of God. Sometimes they flow together. So when I do a funeral, as a pastor, I'm burying the dead, but I'm also proclaiming the word of God. It's also one of the only two times when I wear a suit. Right? Some of you have figured this out. Like I actually do have a suit. Listen, when I became a pastor, I had a conversation with a guy that was thinking about hiring me, and I said, listen, can I wear jeans to preach? Because that would have been a deal killer for me right? I wear jeans. When, that's just, I live in jeans. The, I wear a suit only when there are weddings or funerals. And you people see me at those and you're so funny. <laughs> well, look at you. <laughs> you clean up nice. <laughs> yes, I have a suit. No, I don't want to be wearing it right now. Weddings and funerals. I prefer to do weddings. They're a happier occasion You get more time to plan a wedding. Funerals have to be planned quick. And when you plan a wedding, you plan it just with the bride and the groom. When it's funeral time, there's like a crowd of extended family, and it's mayhem. It is totally hurting cats. There's been a time when I had an extended family around a table just arguing and shouting and yelling at each other. And somehow I'm supposed to plan a funeral. I had to shout, stop it! Stop it! Ugh. It's terrible, terrible stuff. But that's when uh, I wear a suit. And I'll do it because I do like funerals. Funerals are a great opportunity to preach the gospel. Because in that moment, everybody understands the brevity of life. The issue of life and death is right on the table. And so I preach the gospel. Oh, no, 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 pastor. We don't want you to go heavy into that gospel stuff. Then ask someone else. Do not ask me. Because I will certainly uh, follow my Lord into preaching his kingdom. Absolutely. See, Jesus is all about sacrificing in order to proclaim the kingdom of God. And if you follow Jesus, you follow him into that. Let me tell you something brilliant, though. If you aren't following Jesus, then you aren't following Jesus. It's not that brilliant. It's obvious, but, but it's growing on you, I hope, right? It's true. Listen, if you're not following Jesus, you're not following him. Call it like it is. You'll follow him into proclaiming the kingdom. And that's dude number two. Now, let's look at dude number three. This, this This is the guy that said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa, do you, get, do you see there's a progression going on here of like it gets harder and harder? Like at first it's um, the guy didn't want to be homeless. Now listen, you got to follow Jesus in the sacrifice. That's the way it is. But I understand a guy that doesn't want to be homeless. I get that. The second guy is like, listen, I'll have to diss my whole family. Yep, Jesus comes first. And, and so, but I understand that you want to maintain your fa- family obligations. This guy, this guy just wants to say goodbye. And Jesus is like, no. What is going on? Here's something you don't realize that has already happened in your experience of this passage. It assumes that you must go. It assumes that you're leaving. That's already taken for granted. We as a church say, no, grow, go. Know Jesus Christ personally. Grow in your relationship with him and go. Go advance his kingdom. That is part of discipleship, a necessary part. It's assumed that you will be going, you will be leaving. But what's happened today in Christianity is we've so moved the line, we've watered it down, we've taken the teeth out of it. So we say, of course you can go say goodbye, but why? You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You don't need to wander. You don't need to be homeless. Look, this world is still your home. You can have a version of Christianity where you get Jesus, but you can still hold on to the things of the world. Listen, you don't have to follow Jesus in order to follow Jesus. And so we are trying to get a version of Christianity that costs us nothing. Great Anglican bishop a guy named Ryle said this. He said, "A, Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing." And what this guy is doing is he is trying to negotiate with Jesus for a better deal to reduce the price of following him. Can I get it to cost less? And listen, Jesus will completely cover the cost of your salvation. His death on the cross and his resurrection wipes out your debt. You are completely covered there. But when it comes to following Jesus, what it costs is your unconditional surrender. There is no negotiation. There's no negotiating price on that. Well, what this guy does is what we do. We say, Jesus, I will follow you, but... Fill in the blank. We had a phrase in my house growing up. After the butt comes the bullcrap. Okay, actually, it was a little more colorful in my house growing up, but I'll leave that to you, right? But after the butt comes the crap, right? I and mean, here's how it goes. I love you, but, I, I, I would marry you, but, I would maintain my covenant of marriage, I would not divorce you, but, see after the but comes the, I can, I, I can tell some of you grew up in my house, right? I, I get it, I get it, right, we say that, Jesus, I will follow you, but, fill in the blank, What is it that you're holding on to? What is it you're trying to negotiate? Listen, following Jesus isn't a negotiation process. It's not the way it works. And so Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why? What happens when you plow? None of you know you don't plow. (laughs) You're not plowers, right? Not farmers. But listen, you know driving, right? What happens when you're driving and you look back? You have a tendency where you look is where you steer. I remember trying to teach this principle to Caleb. When Caleb was learning to drive, I'm still in counseling. The scars go deep. Oh my goodness, I kid you not. Shannon did two sessions with him and said, she said, I'm out. He's your boy. You teach him to drive, all right? And she was out. It was a year of healing where she was more comfortable being in my car while I'm driving. She was just so wrecked. The reason why, Caleb, listen, he had wonderful hand-eye coordination. He was actually good at steering, but he was so aggressive. I had to say, listen, son, when you kill us, we don't, like, respawn somewhere, like in a video game, right? Like, we're dead, right? That's it. He was so aggressive, and then the worst part is, he would argue about everything. Like, dude, that was a really hard stop. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I've been driving for 30 years. You've been driving for 30 minutes. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. So I remember trying to teach him this principle, that where you look is where you steer, right? And so I'd say, listen, you're going down the road, and you see the cute girl jogging along, and you look, you steer, you run over her. She's no longer cute, right? So where you look is where you steer, man. So he'd say, Caleb, where you look is where you'd steer. He'd say, no, I don't. No, I won't. Quit arguing with me. Stop it. Oh my goodness. But it's an unavoidable principle. Where you look is where you steer. And when you look back, what's going on is your longing. And when you look and you long, you steer and you steer away from Jesus and you steer off track and you are no longer following. What are the things that we look back towards? We look back towards our old life, our old sins, our old habits, family approval, friends, an old boyfriend, an old girlfriend, safety, security. We look back, we long and we steer right away from Jesus. When Hebrews 12 says it well, it says that we're to called to run a race fixing our eyes on Jesus. That means while we follow Jesus, we look right at Jesus, we fix our eyes on him and we follow him. We don't look away. Because when we look away, we steer away. And so if there's anything in your life that causes you to steer away from Jesus, you've got to let that go. You've got to set that aside. Because if you aren't following Jesus then you aren't following Jesus. You got to let that go. All right, so this is all about following Jesus. The, The whole path, all three interactions, I don't know if you caught that, that this is all about following Jesus. Three different guys, the details, the circumstances were a little bit different, but all of them were wrestling with one question. Will I follow Jesus? That was it. Now, the circumstances are different in the sense that the idolatry of the heart was different in the details, but all of them had to wrestle with the same question. And Jesus will do it for you too. Your details, your circumstances might be different than mine, but He will bring all of us eventually to a fork in the road. And we will have to decide. Will I push all my chips to the middle of the table and go all in for Jesus? Or will I start a negotiating process? Will I say, I'll follow you, Jesus, but, and here's my agenda. Are you saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you so long as, and you fill in the blank. Then you've got an agenda. And what we, we tend to do is we kind of have our agenda, we hold on to our agenda. And then we come along and we try to see uh, if we can fit Jesus in. And we've got to flip that. We got to do unconditional surrender, no negotiating. Jesus is in. We fix our eyes on him. He's in. And then we see what fits in now. It reminds me of packing the trunk for family vacations, right? Uh, I'm a dude. I got my man card. That's my job, right? So everything comes out. All the family puts all their stuff there. And I look at the trunk, right? And the way you do this, the the rookie mistake is you just start putting in anything small, right? And then you get like the big suitcase or the, the, the cooler, and it won't fit, right? So you got to set that down. you got to pull everything out. And the way it works, the, the trick is, you get big things first, right? you got to take the biggest thing, and that goes in first, and you pack around that. Can I just suggest you, Jesus is the big thing? And you put him in first, and then you pack around him, and you say, oh, well, this doesn't fit. Jesus goes first. Quit starting with your agenda. Start with Jesus. He's the big thing. And so the question on the table is, do you want to follow Jesus? Jesus. Now, in order to answer that question, I want to suggest a few sub-questions for that. Do you want to be like Him? Do you want to be with Him? Do you want to export His kingdom? See, some of you want to claim the label Christian, but you don't want to be like Jesus. You don't want to be near Jesus, and you don't want to export His kingdom but call me a Christian, that's just weird. That's just weird. I wonder if we should stop saying, hey, are you a Christian? And we should ask questions like, are you a Christ lover? Are you a Christ follower? Are you a kingdom spreader? That would be more clarifying. Because what I'm saying is this, that Jesus doesn't want you to dabble in Christian religion. He doesn't want your dabbling. He wants you All of you, totally you, fully you, every little piece of you, he wants you. And and not to screw your life over. He wants you so that he can give you life. Like real life, full life, true life, eternal life, free life. He wants you free. He doesn't want you dabbling, he wants you. Now I'll tell you this though, that if you choose to go that route, it will scare the heck out of you. Because following Jesus, like really following him, it's radical. It's risky. It's big. It's scary. But ask yourself this a thousand years from now, when you're standing in the presence of God, do you think you'll ever regret any moment you chose to follow Jesus? Won't you instead regret every moment you looked away and steered away, tried to negotiate? tried to reduce the cost that you didn't follow him. I think we will regret those moments. So how do you live that out in 2019? I want you you to do an exercise this week. I want you this week to think of some great kingdom work, some great kingdom goal that is huge and scary and so way beyond you, and then I want you to follow Jesus right into it. I want you to push your chips in the middle of the table and say, okay, let's go, Lord. I'll follow you there. And do it. Swing for the fences. It'll be scary and thrilling at the same time. Go for it. Now, the interesting thing, by the way, about this passage, did you notice that Luke wrote wrote cliffhangers? We don't know how it turned out for any of those three guys. Any one of them, all of them could have followed. Any one or all could have not. We don't know how it ended. I think Luke did that to write us in because we don't know how our stories end yet. I know we're all sitting in a church right now, but let's be honest, it won't end well for everybody. Some of you will die following Jesus, swinging for the fences, awesome. Some of you will flame out before you get there. It kills my heart as a pastor. I see it happen time to time, I hate it. But some of you won't end well. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give an opportunity today that you get to make a choice. I want you to choose it and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's one of my favorite songs. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I, we're not going to sing the song because I don't want to force you to lie. Right? <laughs> uh, but instead, we're going to watch a video about that song. It's one of my favorite videos. I showed it about two years ago, but it's so relevant to today's passage. We'll look at it again. But we won't sing it, but here's how it's going to work. I want you to sit right there, and I want you to watch this video. And if at some point during that video, you feel the Holy Spirit stirring your heart and calling you, I want you to go ahead and stand, because you will be in that moment. You stand, you stay standing, you stay right where you are, but you will be saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you don't get led, you stay seated. You're fine with us, we love you, don't worry about it. But if God leaves you, you stand. Enjoy watching this.
1: There's a true story of a small village in India, and in this village there was this family that came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This agitated the village so much and everybody became so upset that an angry mob gathered and shoved them into the public square. The village chief confronted them and he said to the man, If you and your family will not recant your faith, you all will surely die. The man didn't know what to say or what to do. And so the only thing that came to mind for him were the words of a song that he himself had composed when he had first surrendered his life to God. And so he began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And with that, horrifically, his children were killed. I have decided. He was given another chance, this time with his wife's life on the line, and yet he continued to sing, though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. After her tragic death he was given one final opportunity this time to save himself and yet he continued to sing
2: the cross before me the world behind the cross before-
1: Even though that man and his family died on that day, something remarkable happened. A seed was planted in the heart of that village chief, a seed that began to grow over time and eventually he called the community together in that very same neighborhood, in that very same square and he renounced his former faith and declared his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And a celebration broke out in that moment. And the gospel began to flourish and to grow in that community, not just in that village, but across the whole region. Because they had seen real faith. And they knew the true character of God because of a family that believed and sacrificed, even under the penalty of death.
0: follow Jesus just like that. I do. Like I want people to be able to look at my life and go, it's real. Instead of look at my life and go, huh. Maybe. I mean, you think about it. What, what that family did was just crazy. It's just, it, listen, if Jesus is not exactly who he claimed to, de- to be, what that family did is senseless. But if, if Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, that's the only thing that makes sense. And you think about it right now. This is reality. That family is in heaven with our Lord. Do you think they regret a moment of it? No way. And someday I want to be standing right alongside them, having really followed my Lord. Because listen, if you aren't following Jesus, you aren't following Jesus. I want to lay aside all my conditions and my negotiating and say, all right, unconditional surrender. I'll follow you, Lord. I'll follow you. In fact, I want to pray for that. Would you, everybody stand together if you will, and let's pray. Father, I I come to you for those who didn't stand. I pray you put their hearts at ease because we love them. You love them. You're working in their life, and I'm so glad they're here. For all of us, though, Lord, I pray that you would put some vision in front of us, some big kingdom work that scares the heck out of us. We would say, okay, Lord, we will follow you into that. Let's go. Teach us to follow, Lord. Please teach us to follow. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.